there for about 75 minutes, and they have tons of games, and each game has 10 levels of difficulty, and we didn't get past level two on any of them except for this one particular game. Now, it's not exactly this, but it's kind of close to it. So it's got a grid of lights on the ground, and, and then the voice will go, blue, and that was loud, and then you'll, you have to find the blue colors and go stand on it. It's kind of like an advanced floor is lava, and... We were on level five, so we are crushing this game. So it's Jen, it's me, it's our neighbor Andrew, and those of you that know me know I'm severely colorblind. So when it would say blue, I had to have Jen or Andrew point to where I was supposed to go and then find their own place to go. So it says blue, and you have like a second to respond. So Jen, it says blue, she points, she jumps across the room, and when she lands, you can go to the next slide. I have a list here. This is what happened after she hit the ground. She had a full thickness ACL tear, a grade one MCL sprain, medial meniscus tear. Did I pronounce that right? Thank you. I'm not a tech or a hospital person at all. Uh, bone contusions of the tibial plateau and moderate knee joint effusion. So she had surgery on the 31st, and we are, uh, she's going through rehab. She crushed it. It was great. It was, like, it was funny because I thought she hit the wall, and so I was like, man, that's, we were doing so good on this game. This is going to ruin the game. It's over. And wow, it's been a lot uh, since that moment. So she's learning to, to use her knee again and to walk again, and that's kind of what I wanted to talk about this week, or this week because as she's rehabbing her knee, and those of you that are sports people know when a, a professional athlete could have a non-contact injury where they just make a cut and that knee is, is toast, and they can rehab it and rehab it and rehab it and even get to the point where they are stronger and more agile than what they were before, but they're never really the same again after that surgery. They still have a mental block that's always there whenever they try to walk upstairs or, or, or make that cut in basketball or football again. And Jeff last week talked about being empty to get full, and he must think that I'm full of it. That's why, that's why he asked me to preach today. Um, but once you're full of the Spirit, you're, you're never truly the same person again. And so uh, I wanted to talk about uh, an obscure passage um, in John chapter 3. You might have heard of it before. Uh, but I wanted to go over this, what does it mean to be born again? It's almost a cliche term in our world today, what it means to be a born-again Christian. You are now full, the Holy Spirit is in you. What does that mean, and what are the implications of that? Just like after an ACL surgery, you are never going to be the same again once you are born of the Spirit. So I'm going to read this passage. If you want to go ahead and get your Bibles out, John chapter 3. We're going to go through the first 21 verses. If you have a phone, I pass no judgment. I'm reading out of the ESV, so if you have a phone and want to flip to that, you can. I'm going to read through this passage, the whole thing, or well, 21 verses, and then we'll pray, and then we'll break it down. Sound like a plan? Is everybody with me? Not feeling the energy. I feel the great hello. I want to feel the energy. All right. Let's go ahead and read. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he can, cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, 
How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Reasonable question. Jesus answered, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, just remove your servant from the words today and let your glory and your purpose and your meaning shine through this message this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I titled this message today, Open Heart Birthery, because I want to drill down into the new birth and what it means to be born again. And I broke it down into three parts. Did you know every passage of Scripture, no matter how long or short, can always be broken down into three parts? Some of you got that. Bob got that. Thanks, Bob. I appreciate that. So, I, and I went with an alliterative theme here. I didn't intend for that to happen, but it, it ended up happening that way kind of nice. First section I'm going to call scoffing sarcasm. The second section, 9 through 15, is a spiritual smackdown. And the third section is called steady sanctification. And I, you can go ahead and go to that graphic. I want to see what it looks like. Oh, perfect. All right. Notes are going to be a little different today. All right. I want you to see the interconnectedness of this passage and how this is very true of what happens in the Bible. When Jesus is talking, he's hearkening back all the way to the Old Testament several times. So in your notes, if you're a note taker, get ready because we're going to put a lot of scripture up on the, on the screen today. And when we get done with it, if you're not a note taker, but you want to keep it, just whip your phone out and, and take a picture of it. Or if you want, I will send the PowerPoint to you. Jeff has my email. Just ask for it. I will email this to anybody who wants it. Before we get going on scoffing sarcasm, I did, you don't have to flip there, but I'm going to flip to John 20 real quick because this is so important. I think this is so good. John tells us the purpose of his book at the end of his book. He says in verse 30, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. 
I could have written a lot of more stuff down, but these, these stories that I wrote down, the previous 20 chapters, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you have life in his name. So I'm going to ask you multiple times this morning, do you believe? Do you believe? Scoffing sarcasm, let's get into it. Let's break this down. Who is Nicodemus? In verse 1, we see he's a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. Maybe we just gloss over that. Pharisee doesn't just mean that he's a, a Torah scholar. Probably pretty wealthy. You hear the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they kind of make up this body called the Sanhedrin, a, a ruling religious body during that time. And it uh, he, he, the one thing I want to get clear is that he's not the backup guy, all right? I, a lot of Colts fans in here. He's not Jim Sorgi, all right? He's, he's Peyton, okay? And I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this, and so I'm going to uh, harken back to a story about 10 years ago. So Eli's here. Yes, he's going to be taller than me soon. I'm aware of it. Several people have said that to me this morning. I know he's growing. It's good. When he was, so he's got a cousin that's about 16 now. Uh, he's about 18 months older than him. His name's Jackson. And when they were four and six, I, I beat the crap out of these boys all the time. Just roughhousing, wrestling, running around the house. It was great. This one particular time, so they're chasing me, and I went into a room, and I turned the lights off, and I shut the door. Then I hit the door open so you could look and see this dark room. They know the ambush is coming. And Jackson, in his wisdom and in his power and in his status, said, Eli, you go in first. <laughs> and those of you that know Jackson would not bat an eye at that story. You know, that was absolutely true. And, and this is what I want to make clear to us. Nicodemus was not Eli in that story. He, he is a scholar. He knows the left side of this book probably better than any of us today. He understands this stuff very, very well. And, and what this means is, during this time, there were a lot of people that were springing up and, and having these smoke and mirrors and dog and pony shows and saying that we're of God. And Nico being, that's what his name's going to be from now on out. Nico was probably had multiple meetings like this to say, I'm going to go expose this guy. I'm going to do it under the cover of night, not to embarrass him too much, but I'm going to see if this guy's truly of God or truly not. So the first read-through of verses 1 through 3 and I did this for years where I thought, this seems like a friendly, truth-seeking type of conversation. But, but knowing his status and seeing Jesus' answers, I don't think that's what happens here. I think this is a, a scoffing, sarcastic meeting that Nicodemus is coming to expose this clown. But he will be exposed as a clown or SpongeBob here in just a second. He says, it came to by night. Rabbi, now Jesus had no formal rabbinic training, so we can take that as kind of a scoffing thing. Rabbi, we, the Sanhedrin, know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. That is the setup statement. That is the setup statement to say, let's see what you can do. Let's see these signs when it's just us under the cover of night and you don't have your crowd with you. And, and Jesus' answer doesn't how do we get to where he gets? It says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How did we get there? That doesn't, Nico doesn't really ask a question here. It's a statement. And Jesus goes all the way to the heart. And we sang about it 
How many times did we say heart this morning when they led worship? This is a, a heart statement that Nico does, and, and Jesus cuts right to the chase. So here's our, we're going to go through. I think the first scripture up there is Psalm 1. Is that right? Psalm 1. I'm going to Psalm 1. You don't have to go if you don't want to, but I'm going to Psalms. Now, I completely ripped this from John MacArthur. I'm just going to give him the credit right out of the, before I get to it. But the Psalms is really, what he said, is the gateway or Psalm 1 is really the gateway to the book of Psalms. We could say the book of worship. Worship. This is the book of worship. And, and, and it's stressing that those who would worship God genuinely embrace his law and his instruction, his covenant instruction. Listen to these words from Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Nicodemus knew the law, but he had a heart problem. He did not delight in the law of the Lord. The law was a means to an end. The law was a means to power. He did not delight in the law of the Lord. So Psalm 1 shows us that Jesus is going to cut to the heart. He's always, always, always going to be about your heart. So do you believe, church? Do you believe? And we see this come, come to fruition in the New Testament. I'm going to flip to Matthew 7 real quick. How scary is this? Matthew 7, verse 21. Listen to this. This is Jesus' words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And did we not cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And one of the most bone-chilling verses in all of Scripture, Jesus says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. They are prophesying in Jesus' name. They're casting out demons and doing all these works in his name, but they don't delight in the law. They have a heart problem. An oral confession does not always equal a repentant heart. It's right here. This is not my words. This is Jesus' words. It's right here. And we see this in the American church today. How many American churches, if you spend any time on Christian Twitter, watch out. They have a dog and pony show. It is a, it is a production. They don't come to ascribe worth to God. They come to ascribe worth to the pastor. Don't get me wrong. I'd take a bullet for Jeff. I'd take a bullet for Brenda. But they're not God. We don't ascribe worth to the pastor. We ascribe worth to God. We delight in his law. They have a heart problem. Do you believe? All right. We're getting there. We're getting there. Verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, go ahead and throw SpongeBob up there. All right. So this is, this is how I view this next verse. All right. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? What a, what a scoffing statement. What? You're talking to the Son of God. First off, that's kind of gross. 
Can we just at least establish that? If you think about this statement, it's kind of gross. Because his heart hasn't changed yet. His heart absolutely has not changed yet. And Jesus' answer, truly, truly, I say to you, unless it's born of water and not spirit, but the spirit. Spirit is capitalized there. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. And Jesus is not just saying random words. If we flip back to Ezekiel, I'll get there. The major prophets are always nice because they wrote a lot, so you can find their books easily. Ezekiel 36, 22 through 28. I'll get there at some point. If you have the Bible that has the heading, the heading above this says, I will put my spirit within you. What did Jeff talk about last week? Being full of the spirit. Listen to this. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what God is saying to Ezekiel, the Lord, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations. How often do we profane the name of God in our society today? And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which is been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned, got it, and the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Here we go. I will take you from the nations and gather you from the countries and bring you into your land, and I will sprinkle clean water on you. Born of water, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, all your sin, and from your idols I will cleanse you. And here we go. I will give you a new heart. This is not anything new. Jesus isn't talking about anything new. I will give you a new heart and a new what? A new what? Somebody's got to get there. A new spirit I will put within you and I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk, not just put my spirit in you, but cause you to walk in the law, in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. This is, this is nothing new. This is nothing new. And let's keep going on this, on this metaphor. We're going to be in verse Seven and eight. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of spirit. I had to really dig on this one, okay? Because this just, I understand wind. I ride bikes. I hate wind. I get it. But I wanted to understand this really, really well. And this is, this is just what I, one thing that I wrote down I found. The wind is unpredictable, Sorry if you're a meteorologist in here. And uncontrollable, you can hear it and feel its effects when it comes on you, but you can't see its source or its destination. Be just like the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit and this new birth is mysterious and sovereign. We don't know where it comes from, but we can feel it when it comes upon us. And it can't be controlled and it can't be predicted by human effort. Church, do you Believe. All right, let's go to the spiritual smackdown. This is going to be fun. All right, it's kind of already happened, but it's going, to get, it's going to get worse here for Nico. Nicodemus says to him, how can these things be? That might be a change of heart question. Jesus answers him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Ouch. Ooh. Again, Nicodemus was coming to expose the clown and we're, we're 
45 seconds into the conversation and it has not gone the way that he is used to it going. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? One quick note, when he says, truly, truly, I say to you, that's singular. And then after that, all the yous throughout the rest of this, pa- this part of the passage is plural. And we could take that as you, Nicodemus, and then you, Sanhedrin, you, Israel, you do not receive our testimony. And this obviously goes back to what we just talked about in Ezekiel. I'm going to go real quick. We're going all the way back, baby. We're going to Deuteronomy. How many times have you guys heard Deuteronomy this week? Be honest. Be honest. Deuteronomy 30, repentance and forgiveness. Verse 6, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul so that you may live. This is not talking about a physical life. This is talking about a spiritual life. Think back to Genesis. What did God say? If you eat from that tree, you will surely die. Did Adam die? No, not physically, but there was a spiritual death that occurred. We'll hearken back to that here later on at the end. Uh, this This is always, always, always about the heart. And then we can read in Jeremiah, another major prophet. Jeremiah had a lot going on. Sad dude. Always crying. But listen to this. He was. You read, you know. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. This is prophetic. This is, this is exile. This is post-David. This is very pre-Christ. And he says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on that day when I brought them out of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Here we go. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they will no longer say to each neighbor and his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall know me. From the least of them to their greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive them of their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Praise God, hallelujah. That's talking about Jesus. And we get to see it come to fruition here in John. It's amazing. Do you believe? And I, there's, there's so much here. Folks, I, I timed this out and it was like 45 minutes and I, I got to cut this down. So uh, there's so many verses here. Psalm, quick hits. Psalm 51.10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That's David. Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful and sick and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? You have a heart problem. First Samuel, we sang it today. The Lord looks at the heart, not on outward appearances, but the heart. Proverbs 27, 19, as water reflects the face of a man, so the face of a man reflects the heart. Spiritual transformation isn't anything new, and it begins with their heart, so do you believe? All right, we're going to get to, this is my favorite part of the whole message today. It's back to verse 14. I love this, because this, this is just so rich and so encouraging to me. Verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And I've read that verse 
many times, and I never really, you might have cross-references in your Bible. Maybe start using those from time to time, and you will see this connectedness that you see with these scriptures. This doesn't harken back to when Moses had to keep his hands up. This takes us back to everyone's favorite uh, book of the Old Testament, Numbers. Hey, if you, if you read through Numbers, there's some, there's some cool stories in Numbers. There's some neat stuff in there. Earth opening up and swallowing people. It's kind of neat. All right. Context for Numbers 21, verse 4. They're in the wilderness. They're not wandering. They're following. I hate that. They weren't aimless in the wilderness. They were following a cloud of smoke and a pillar of fire. They were following God. Aaron has just died. Moses' brother, kind of a stud, because Israel weeps for 30 days after he was dead. So that seemed like he was a well-liked guy. And we'll just say morale is low. Morale's not doing too hot now that Aaron has died. Verse 4, from Mount Hor, they set out by way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient along the way. Shocker, Israel, upset about something. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. I'll explain that here in a second. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. Hold on. What? Now, I don't like spiders, but I think I would take a spider over a fiery snake, personally. That's just me. A, a fiery serpent, now keep going in this verse, among the people, and they bit people so that many of Israel died. Whoa, what a sentence, what a verse. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. They bit people so that many people of Israel died. And the people come to Moses and go, you know what, our bad. Sorry, our bad, that's on us. But what I want you to really, really see here in verse seven is what's the first thing they say? They don't say, get rid of these snakes, this is awful. The first, the first part they say is we have sinned. There's a confession the fiery snakes, luckily we don't see any of those today, but that changed their heart. We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you, Moses. Please pray to the Lord and take away these serpents from us. Moses listens, prays, because I'm sure he's not a big fan of fiery snakes either. And the Lord says to Moses, make a fiery serpent and put it on a pole, set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. So much here from what Jesus said. All right, let's try to connect a lot of these dots here. All right, sorry, I'm getting fired up. All right, um, a fiery serpent. What tempted Eve in the garden? He could have used a bear. He could have used a spider. He used a serpent. Sin coming into the world, all right? They, they sin, so he sent fiery serpents, all right? Set it up on a pole so that everyone would, would look at it. So if you, they could have put it on an altar, they could have put it on the ground, but this is a camp of, I mean, it says many people died, so we don't know exactly how many people are still moving around and breathing, but I'm willing to bet it had to be lifted up pretty high. I'm vertically challenged, thanks Wade, um, but he always talks about how tall everybody is. That's not me. Um, but set it up on a pole so you could see it. All right? The cross. What happened on the cross? Jesus was lifted up on a cross. This fiery serpent representing sin 
coming into the world, Jesus paying for that sin. Now, it says, if anybody looked at it, was there any divine, magical healing power within that pole and in that serpent? Not a, not a trick question. No. It was because they had a change of heart and believed. They had a change of heart and they believed. And just a footnote here, because we do this and, and God's pretty clear about idols. Later, by the, team of King, by the time of King Hezekiah, that's a fun word to say from the pulpit, King Hezekiah of Judah, around 700 BC, this copper serpent became an object of worship among the Israelites and had to be destroyed. There's nothing divine about the wooden cross that Jesus was on. What's divine was Jesus. What was, what's divine is the spirit. There's no healing parts of this serpent. There's no healing parts of the physical cross, but we look to the cross and who was on the cross, and that's why we are saved. We believe. And then, if we want to go, so that's beforehand. Now we want to go prophetically to what is happening. I'm going to flip over to Acts, not very far from John. Acts 2, we're going to go to Pentecost with our buddy Peter, who is preaching. Acts 2, 29 through 33. For brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried and in his tomb with us to this day, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him, he would set one of his descendants on his throne, Jesus, and he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption, but that Jesus God raised up. And that we are all witness to that. So we have the, 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 the crucifixion, but we also have the raising up. He beat death. Amen. Hallelujah. And then he, when he did the Great Commission, and after he's doing that, did he take an Uber out of Jerusalem? I knew that was going to get Baker. I couldn't wait to say that. <laughs> he was lifted up so that those believe, they, when they look, they believe. Being therefore exalted, and now we go all the way to heaven, at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Do you believe? Okay, so you're like, okay, we got it, John. We're good. We, we believe. Okay, we're good. So now what? Let's go to steady sanctification. This, Let's make sure we, we just appreciate the context of 1 through 15 before we get and, and the bitterness of sin and, and the, the heart condition that we have so we can get to the sweetness and the glory of John 3.16 that we see on TV probably every college game day. You see some you know, dog against Ohio State or Michigan on a sign or whatever, and next to that, what do you see? John 3.16. We see it all the time. It's a, it's a beautiful verse, but let's not forget the context of it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes, we're going to say believe so many times here. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. We don't like this part. This is the judgment. The light, Jesus, has come into the world and people loved the darkness. Think about how sin just 
makes us want to just shy away and live on this on our own in isolation. The darkness has, has, people love it. We would rather sin in, in the darkness than bring our sin to the light. And they, they, they shy away from the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. That's the way sin just takes control of us. Lest his works should be exposed. I don't want my sin exposed. I want people to think I'm a pretty good person. We're not. We have a heart problem. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. I know I'm getting long, folks. I'm almost done, I promise. All right, uh, I'm gonna go to Philippians real quick. Philippians is a very short little book, a little letter. And the reason it's short is because Philippians are doing pretty good. They weren't the Galatians where Paul has pretty strong rebukes. Uh, he only has one book to the Philippians or one letter and it's not the Corinthians which needs two and they're pretty long. Philippians 2, but there's still some things we need to correct. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Think about what that means. Paul would come to his church or a city, and he, he might as well just go to jail because he typically got arrested, or uh, you know, go to the hospital because he's going to get beat up. And, but here, he does okay, and, and they're, they're believing, and, and they're good, and then he leaves. And how, much, how guilty are we of this? The people had a sense of urgency of working out their salvation in his presence that Paul's there, but then it says, but much more in my absence. Hi, Jeff. Everybody's doing great today. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And you, I'm not going to flip there, but you could, if you want to write down Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is an amazing summation of the gospel. And it ends with, we are created for his workmanship, that we would work out the good deeds that he prepared beforehand. And what happens? And I have a graphic here. I think I got the, the, yeah. All right. So do we believe that faith plus works equals salvation? Or do we believe that salvation first, then we have faith in that equals good works? I can tell you the bottom graphic that you see is Christianity. And that's the only religion that does something like that. Everything else is I work, I get the good deed, I get the salvation, and we treat God like this, and I'm, I'm quoting uh, one of my pastors at my church, we, we treat God like this cosmic vending machine, that I bring you my merits, I bring you my money, I bring you my time, I bring you this, and I go, hey, three, and I get my reward for it. And that's why we know this is true because no other religion is like this. We, we are born again. We get a new heart. We're full of the Spirit. And because of that, we live that out. We work out that salvation. And then what comes from that? Fruit of the Spirit. I, I wanted to go there. I don't have time. Galatians 5, 16 through 26. Go look up fruit of the Spirit. If you want to know what's the end product of that work, there you go. Fruit of the Spirit. Camp 2023, we had a great camp. We had about 120 kids. I should have put it on here, but I always like to wear a tank top with a cat in space. Um, it's fine. Um, I like to have fun. But Camp 2023, we had a really good speaker and he went through Ephesians and he was talking about serving and, and this working out your salvation. And I wrote down this phrase and I thought this was so good. 
because he used a lot of sports metaphors, a lot of sports kids there. Learn to serve the Lord when there isn't going to be a highlight video. Learn to serve the Lord, I'll throw in joyfully, when there isn't going to be a highlight video of your good works. Serve the Lord joyfully without having it being recognized. God knows, God sees it. Who cares if man sees it? And I'm going to try to get through this without crying. Um, An example of someone working out their salvation. Hey, Brenda. In the summer of 1991, Brenda Sauters worked out her salvation. There was a young man that was in her Sunday school. He was seven. And she gave him the gospel. She worked out her salvation faithfully and gave this boy the gospel. And, and the Holy Spirit came upon him and there was just, there was a sense of urgency. There was a sense of immediacy that I, I need to get baptized and I need to get baptized now. So this little guy goes to his youth pastor, Jeff, and says, I want to get baptized. I, I got to show that I'm ready because I don't know when Jesus is coming back. And being the youth pastor that Jeff was, he said, well, okay, that's, that's great. Why don't we wait till your next birthday? Because typically a seven-year-old won't remember lunch as they're eating it. So that's a pretty good thing to say to kind of disarm the situation. Do you really know what you're doing? And I went home and I got a calendar and I found my next birthday, January 9th, 1992. The next Sunday was January 12th, 1992. And I said, that's the day I'm going to get baptized. Because Brenda believed and worked out her salvation. Those of you that serve in this church, I love this church because you guys serve. You work out your salvation. Do it with a joyful heart. Meditate on the law. But you all serve. And because Brenda served, I got baptized just down the road. It's now Victory, I think. But it was Franklin Memorial Christian Church. And I was so little in the baptistry, I had a spike haircut. Because it was the 90s. All right, back off. But I was so short, they couldn't even see me. They could just see the top of my flat top spike that I had. And my, bab- my dad baptized me, and I've, I've never been the same. So do, do you believe I think you can go to the God graphic if you want to. All right. Do you believe that God is at the center of it all? Do do you believe that that God saw chaos and, and created order from that? And then from that order, he created the heavens and the earth and he made a garden and he made man and he put man in the garden to work because before the fall, we had work. We are to joyfully serve the Lord with our toil and with our work. And he put woman in the garden and he gave them a command. And he said, don't eat of this particular tree. And he ate. And sin entered the world. And because of that sin, more sin and more sin entered the world. And it doesn't take very many pages of scripture to get to the first murder. Because sin is so powerful and so blinding. And then we have Lots of history of redemption and prophecy and God being faithful to his people. And then we have the virgin birth and the virgin birth matters. Why do you think that? Because Jesus was not born of ordinary generation. That's why we call it, when the spirit comes into your life, a 
regeneration. Jesus did not have a sinful father create him. He was created by the power of the Holy Spirit. So his record is clean. He's clean of sin. He's not affected by sin. And he lives a perfect life and he follows God's law. And he, he doesn't break any of the rules and he keeps all the rules that he's supposed to keep. And then he dies on the cross and there are two imputations with that. You have grace and mercy on display. Grace being that because God didn't break any of the statute or because Jesus didn't break any of God's law, he, he earns that righteousness and Jesus imputes that to us upon our death. And then, don't miss this, our filthy rags of a life where we break God's law and break his commandments on a daily basis, we impute that to Jesus and he takes on the full wrath of God so that we don't have to experience hell and heaven. We can just be with the Father. And when we believe that and we come to believe that, we start to, our sanctification process starts and we start to bear the family resemblance because we have been adopted into this new family. We have a new generation. We're now part of this family. And we're sanctified through this time, during the time that we're alive. And then we're finally glorified in the Father because we're not only saved from the penalty of sin, we're not only saved from the power of sin, but we're saved from the very presence of sin. That's the gospel. Do you believe? Okay, the band's going to come up now. Sweating up here. It's great. And if you want to write down one phrase, or I've, I've seen people taking pictures, I love that. But uh, we always do this at our church where we do the sermon in a sentence. So it's what did your what did the guy talk about today? You can just tell them this sentence. Because I am born again by the Spirit and received a new heart, I will strive to serve God faithfully. So we're gonna stand. You can, you can stand if you want. And let's sing like we've never sung before. The altar is here. If you need to come do some business with Jesus, as Jeff would probably say if he was up here, and let's worship the one who deserves to be worshiped. <laughs>